Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend El Chavruta, Yerdena Asband. Our daf of the day, Masecha Beitza, daf chet, page eight. Our daf today for a uh, return to the kind of thing we used to talk about when we could, and so we will today, has a theme for change. Um, and meaning not just the content itself, of course, so, you know, we were talking about the eggs here for a long time, the issues of Yantif and and what the halachas are. But today, the Gemara really delves into things for which the status of them is obscure or unclear or unknown or indeterminable. And so we're going to talk about some of these cases, not all of them, the Gaddaf is long. Um, but it it's, you know, on the one hand, it's these conundrums. And on the other hand, I think, I think we can agree that they're very interesting. So the first one that I want to talk about, and I'm going to jump around a little bit, and then I think your Dana will make some Seder in the middle, um, um, is about the ashes of the stove. The question, you'll recall, we were talking about um, covering the blood of an animal that was shechted on Yantif for the sake of using it on Yantif, but of a chayav, specifically a, a wild animal, a non-domesticated animal, that the blood needs to be covered as part of the process of the shechita of the animal. And the so you could do the shechita, but then can you dig a hole to get the dirt to be able to cover the blood? And that is a, a different, complicated, messy, malacha kind of issue when it comes to yantif. The better plan, of course, is to have the, the dirt all ready to go. So the Gemara here gives an example of ashes from the stove meaning, you know, the the what's in the hearth, um, that they are muhan. They are already prepared. They are already set aside. And then you don't have this question of muksa. Is it muksa? Is it not muksa? Can you handle it? Can you not handle it? The presumption is that because they're set aside, that you could then, you can then use them to cover the blood itself, themselves, the, with the ashes. So the Gemara says, you know, whoever was talking about the ashes of the stove, why are you even discussing it? And Rabbah says, well, because we were talking about, we have a statement from the Tana that says specifically that the ashes of the stove are prepared, meaning that the same way that you could have prepared earth to cover the blood, you could have prepared ashes from the stove to cover the the um, the blood. Amar of Yehuda, Amar Rav, lo shano ela shehusak me'erv yom tov, aval husak bayom tov asur. So Rav Yehuda said that Rav said that they were only allowing ashes of a stove that you know, they're only calling it prepared when the stove was already lit from before it became yantif, meaning the ashes were already forming at the start of before the chag starts. But if you only somehow ignited that that hearth, whatever that fire on the festival itself, then those ashes are pro- prohibited. Now, how can you light a fire on on yantif already? Well, you can transfer the flame. I mean, you're not going to start. You can transfer the flame. Now you have the flame in the place that where the ashes will will be developed, and the answer is yes. But they only started on Yantif itself, so you can't use those to for the purpose of this covering of the blood. Um, but then the Gemara has a caveat and it says, but if the ashes are still hot enough that you could roast an egg in them, you know, that you put your egg inside these ashes and it gets. I don't know, hard boiled, I guess, right? Then, then that's not muksa because you have a use for them on yantif for yantif, right? You want to hard boil your egg, and so this is a this is 
specifically the way that you would do it. And then once you can use the ashes for the purpose of this egg, then you could use them for other purposes as well. Um, okay. So this Gemara, the Gemara here discusses this question a little bit further in terms of when they're prepared and when they're not prepared and what time it has to kick in. And now I want to jump. I'm going to skip a bit, which your Dana, I know you'll come back to. And I want to say on Ahmed Bet, um, there's a discussion here about from from Rabbah, meaning he's already been our our main speaker a little bit, and he continues this discussion. Elamar Rabbah, Efer Kira Muchan Levadai, Ve'ein Muchan Safek. So he says the ashes are prepared. What does it mean they're prepared? They're prepared for covering blood in the case that you actually have an obligation to do so. But Rabbi said you don't have an obligation. You, you, they're not prepared. They won't work if you do not have a definite obligation to do this covering. Meaning, otherwise, they're muksa. They don't have a. They don't have the purpose. Let me say this carefully. Anything that's going to be designated for its purpose. At, to take it out of the category of muksa, right? So that it's got to, it's prepared to do this thing that it needs to be able to do, namely cover the cover the blood. But the only time you have to cover the blood is when you have to cover the blood. So this idea that there might be a circumstance when you would cover the blood misafik from a question of whether you have to cover the blood, then according to Rabba, these ashes are not prepared for that. They're not set aside for that because you would never set something aside for that questionable status. So then the Gemara wants to know, what about this suffix? The suffix by Tamalo. Why not use the ashes? Why not, why can't they be considered prepared? The ka'avid guma, vadainamika avid guma. Because when you, like if you're talking about, you've got this mound of ashes, you're going to make a little a little hill, a little, I don't know, molehill, right? Not literally. Out of the ashes so that you can then take from them to be able to cover the blood, so then that's isn't that what you're going to do anyway if you whether you have a case of mandatory covering of ashes or you're not sure if you have to so what did Rabbi Abba say the Gemara says that we're going to follow the opinion of Rabbi Abba who says that making that hole to take the ashes is not considered malacha meaning you're destroying that nice little hill of your ashes of the ashes but but it's not it's not um for a Shabbos act to be destructive in such a way that it would be prohibited, then it has to also have some aspect of it that's also constructive. So here, the moment you have that uncertainty, according to Rabbi Abba, you don't have to worry about it because you're not destroying for any constructive purpose. It's a suffix. It's, it's a lesser certainty to begin with. So then what you're doing here is not going to, I don't want to say it's not going to accomplish that much, but it's not going to accomplish as much. So the I, again, we're going to come back to this question. But can you use them or not? So then the Gemara is going to take this step back. Ella Suffolk Maitama Dilma Aved Ketisha Vadainami Nigzor Mishum Ketisha. So what's Ketisha? Ketisha is crushing, right? If you're going to Lachtosh, if you're going to cr- crush the earth, right? So then maybe you're not going to be allowed to crush the earth to, to um when you're getting it ready, when you're getting the area ready to cover the blood. Um, so maybe you're not going to bother with Katisha for for a case where you're not sure that you really need to do this to begin with, especially we're talking about doing this activity on Yantif, and isn't that going to be a problem of Malacha? So the Gemara says, well, this is no different. This is not, this is not a difficult situation, right? We don't have Akashi here because 
when you're doing this mitzvah of covering the blood, we're talking about a case where you have to do it. Then if you have to do Katisha, then you do Katisha so that you're able to do the, the covering of the blood. Meaning if you're using the ashes for a Doraita requirement, then everything you're doing is towards that purpose. And there's no question about whether you can do it. Of course you can do it. You're supposed to do it. But the moment you have a, a question mark over whether you're supposed to be doing it. And I feel like now I'm talking around the topic that your Dana's going to get to. Um, but then once you have that suffix in place, then all of the side activities that you might need for the sake of covering the blood with the ashes, now those are prohibited. And that, that becomes like even more tricky um, in terms of, well, we have a whole bunch of situations where we have, a vadai and something that is not a vadai, meaning something that is certain and something that is not certain. So it comes up, you know, in the rest of the goodbye. I'm going to, I'm not going to read this inside, but I'm going to tell you outside. So there's a case of a baby boy who has tsara'at. So, and specifically on the orla, I mean, a newborn baby boy, right? So you're not allowed to cut out leprosy or whatever the leprosy is, whatever tsara'at really is. You're not allowed to cut out tsara'at. But you can do a brit milah that happens to remove the tzarat at that same location, right? Because your goal there is to do the brit milah. It's not, you're not really trying. So, and, and there's other cases like this where the, I feel like the expression that we might use here is nishtahe nishtaher, meaning it's neither here nor there because you're not do because you're doing two things in the same activity and but the one of them might be a problem to do, but you're allowed to do it because of the allowance to do the other angle of the same activity. So it's the kind of thing where I say, like, you have to kind of wrap your mind around it, this idea. And that's why I think that the Brit Mila example is a good one, because you're doing the same one activity where on the one hand it would be totally prohibited, but then the other angle of it give, makes it totally not only permitted, but required. And that will, you know, trickle back, so to speak, also for the ashes, meaning any circumstance where we have this kind of like, well, can you do it or can you not do it? But if you do it this way, and I realize that this is like an abstract kind of thing to talk about, then you end up with an obligation to do it, which obviates the need for the whole discussion of whether it's a, you know, where, where maybe it's not even obligated at all. You end up in a in a tangle that then is like kind of very streamlined because now you have an obligation. So not every case will work out so smoothly, but that's what, that's the hope. That's where you want it to work for your, for whatever you need to do on Yantif that has this kind of, it's also prohibited and it's also, or permitted, you know, whichever line it is. And then also, but maybe it's not, and maybe it's in a, you know, we don't know what this status is zone. So I totally agree with you, Anne, that the theme of this DAP is sort of things that are neither here or neither there. And the thing that I wanted to talk about, which I guess is a little bit of a who's who, what's what, is this animal called the koi uh, that appears on this DAP. So one of the things you and I have always been talking about is, is that there's no Gemara Bavli on, uh, really on most of Zran, other than the Masachat Brachot, there's no Bavli on it. And so the real source of the koi actually appears in the Mishnah of Zraim in Parak Bet, Mishnah's Chet through Yudala. So there's four Mishnahs that talk about it um, in the second chapter of Bikurim. Um, and that whole chapter is sort of talking about, um, 
you know, uh, well, it starts off with the koi where it says basically koi yeshpo drachim shavela chaya the yeshpo drachim shavela beima. So this is uh, the eighth Mishnah in the second chapter of um, of Bikurim. Koi is in some ways like a chaya, which is a wild animal, and some ways like a domesticated animal, which is a behema. The yeshbo drachim shavela behema v'lachaya, and there are ways where it's equal to both a behema and a chaya. The yeshbo drachim shavela behema v'lachaya, and there are ways that it is not like uh, not equal at all to a behema or to a chaya. And then there are three through. So I would encourage all of you just for the sake of time, you know, look up these missions in Bikurim. Um, but I think that's part of what's a challenge here with this stuff, because, you know, we don't, it sort of assumes, you know, that Mishnah and there's no Gemara directly on that Mishnah. So this would sort of be one of the Gemaras that I think would come out. Um, but one of the things that it mentions here, which is in the next Mishnah, right? How is it like a Chaya? Chaya must be covered like the blood of a wild animal. The ancient tinoto biyomto, right? And you should not slaughter it on a festival. So those are the pieces that are relevant to sort of this stuff, right? Which is, you know, if you shecht, you know, if you shecht it, do you need to cover the blood? Are you allowed to shecht it on yomto? And so, you know, there's a lot of discussion around what exactly this animal of the koi was. Um, you know, some people say that it might have been some type of deer or a hybrid of a sheep and a deer or maybe a hybrid of a deer and another animal. But nobody's exactly clear what exactly this animal uh, was. Um, but again, the source for it is these four Mishnayos that appear in Masech of Bikurim. Um, as we go through the daf together uh, in Hulan, there's also going to be uh, a discussion about it where there they give sort of different what it is. Um, and in Hulan, it's either identified as some type of wild deer, this hybrid of a male goat with a female gazelle. Um, and uh, since, and what's interesting there is that since the goat is like a type of cattle, right? Like that's a goat is considered to be a domesticated animal, but the mother is a gazelle, which is wild, right? That's why it has that status. And that's the opinion of Rafista. Or it just could be like a totally separate species of itself. That's sort of the third one. Um, and some modern scholars identify it as something that's called a bubalos, which is some type of, uh, of, of, of cow. It's related. It's in the bovine family uh, that's in Asia. Read a lot about this. It's definitely worth Googling and spending a little bit of time on it. I will add this. I saw also a water, maybe it was a water buffalo. I also saw something called a, a mufret, something like that. Not that, but something close to that. Um, and each one, you know, everybody who's making the case for whichever animal they want it to be, there are just as many people arguing against those same suggestions. Right. And I'll just end with this, that the key piece here of them not knowing if it's an animal or if it's a, a you know, if it's a, a behemoth or if it's a chaya, um, is that what the Chazal does in the Mishnah is they just rule stringently. So whatever you have to be machmir about with a chaya, like covering the blood, not shakting it on Yom Tov, that's what they do. Whatever you need to be strict with with a with a behema. So, for example, Mishnah Yud talks about ketzach shabel behema chalbo asor kechela behema. Its fat is there's a domesticated animal you're not allowed to eat, so it's prohibited like that. Okay, so that's what ends up happening when you're neither here nor there with the koi. You're not sure what it is. We end up ruling being machmir 
where we have to be machmir with the behema, where we have to be machmir with achaya. So you're going to pop up again. Um, it's interesting when you do it through Gemara again, because there's no direct reading of the Mishnayos that really talk about it, which is a Masachah Bikurim when we're learning Gemara Bavli. Yeah, I think that the puzzlement here, though, you know, I, I feel like maybe in the Yerushalmi, maybe they were more comfortable to know what the animal was. Is that a, is that ridiculous? Yeah, no, I, I totally hear that. I don't think that's totally ridiculous. But it's, but again, like the koi is just sort of this classic halachic conundrum, um, you know, of being neither here nor there. And also fascinating that we don't really know what it is. Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Neat Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAF on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Music.